This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new episode of Mercado and Manning. Andrew, we're sitting in the same room. Amazing. Huh? It's been a while. It's been a long, ah. a long time. Uh, we're in um, regional New South Wales. Yes. Uh, Newcastle. Yep. It's a bit wet, but um, it's great to be here in person. Yeah. Um, fair bit to get through today. So much TV. It's, um, I mean, I was thinking on the way up here today on the drive that um, this has got to be one of the best years of TV ever. I mean, we probably say that every year. But yeah. It's been some pretty good stuff this year. If you'd like, I sometimes I feel quite overwhelmed. Like, even thinking about creating an end of year best list, I find I just think, oh no, oh no, how do we do this? Because there's so many shows that we don't watch. You know, I'm always aware when we look at the top ten list and you see the Mandalorian and the Star Wars series and Lord of the Rings and House of Dragon and these shows that we don't really cover here because we're not the target audience. But there's so many other amazing TV shows and when you even think about trying to make a best of list, I, I, I just think, oh, God, how? where do we even start? Because yeah. we only look at – we're looking at so much TV but we're still not even close to covering it all. No, no way, no way. I guess drama's our um, focus, isn't yeah. it, I guess, and if you want to call it premium drama, it sounds a bit pretentious to yeah. me when you, when you say that on premium, which we might get to um, later today or in our next episode anyway. Um, we'll start with Bali 2002 yeah. today, which is about to drop on Stan. I've watched three. I think you've seen all four. Yeah, I watched all four. I just knocked them all off yesterday. Yeah, and yeah. so you wanted to do that. You didn't. You did. You were you compelled episode to episode. Well, I was not so much. I was compelled, but I just thought four is an easy watch, and why not just watch it all? It's it's something that I would once I started. I knew I had to watch the end of it, and I just thought, look, I'm here. Um, I've started it. I'm just going to knock it all over. Yeah. Um. I. They seem to focus on different things in each episode. Yeah. Right? The Jason McCartney footballer. Yep. Turns up, I think that episode two or three. Yeah, I think he was more episode three, three his yes. journey of getting yeah. back into the game after his injuries. Yes. Yeah. Um, Sean Keenan played. Yeah. Because I don't think he was in the first episode. No, he was there. Was yeah, 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 because they keep kind of doing this flashback device all the time where you see that Saturday in Bali when yeah. the girls arrive at the airport and they go, look, there's one of the players from North Melbourne. Okay. So you just see him very briefly in the bar. But, yes, as it moves through, there's basically two girls. Um, there's Jason and his mate, the footballers. Yes. And then there's this English girl who's th- who gets married and is there with her English husband. And they all end up Holly. in the... Yeah. Claudia Jesse. They all end up in the Paddy's uh and then of course the bomb goes off and we but we we come back to their stories over the course of each episode. Right. Okay. Okay. Um pretty impressive cast, isn't it? A lot of um Indonesian yeah. um actors. I believe it was all filmed here in Sydney. I just had a quick look in the press kit. They said it was filmed on location in Sydney where they recreated, but there were Indonesian creatives involved 
in the um, series. It feels to me that the opening scene where you see this Balinese young woman uh, saying, what have we done to the gods for this to happen and this sort of memorial, that looked to me like it was filmed on Kuta Beach, but I can't find anything to say that they did film stuff there. And it's in, I'm kind of interested to know that because there's a movie in cinemas at the moment called Ticket to Paradise with George Clooney right. and Julia Roberts yeah. set in Bali but pretty much entirely filmed in Queensland. And I'm told by Aussies who've seen that film that it's so obvious that it's not filmed in Bali, that that is a Queensland production. But, of course, the Americans will have no idea. They won't be able to see that distinction. But, yeah, I'd like to think that they did film a couple of scenes of this in Bali because I think one of the strong points of this miniseries is that they have featured Balinese actors in it. And, in fact, this storyline of the young wife looking for her husband uh, amongst the carnage, uh, that to me is a a very strong... And I think it's really, really important to remember that although that bar was targeted because it was full of Australians, there were a whole bunch of Balinese locals who were also caught up in that and were killed. And I think it's really important to remember that, that, uh, and I think that miniseries does that really well, tells her story of trying to find her husband. I think that's important to tell alongside the Australian victims. The two big ticket cast members, if you like, by Rachel Griffiths and Richard Roxburgh. Yep. Rachel Griffiths plays that Dr Fiona Wood. Yep. Who led, the, I guess, the... Um, what do you call it, the recuperation? The, the, the burns the unit, burns the, unit. The, the spray on oh, burns. That a lot of the yeah. uh, victims were taken to. Yep. Uh, controversially, it's touched on that some people thought, you know, it was a, um, it was a, wasn't a tried and tested method. It was yeah. a bit dangerous. Um, and then Richard Roxburgh plays the Graham Ashton, I think was the federal police person leading the investigation for Australia. Yeah. He butts heads a little bit with his Indonesian counterpart. I thought that was really interesting. I loved the fact that, you know, you had these um, Australian police who had to step into a crime scene and wanting to help but having to navigate that we don't, you know, we've got to do this with the Indonesians on our side. We can't sort of tell them that we need to take over. I thought that was really interesting how they handled all of that. And then, of course, at one stage you had the the Balinese locals wanting to come in and bulldoze the crime scene uh, because of their local tradition were, you know, there are there are spirits here now that need to be released. And I thought all of that was really interesting to me in terms of uh, how they were trying to do this investigation and find out who was responsible. What about the way they involved the government? All you ever really saw, I think, was Rob Carlton yeah. playing a government official. <laughs> yeah. Quite clever, I guess. Yeah. That was how they introduced, you know, the the pressure from the government to maybe speed things up and yeah. curtail or um, you know, don't be too controversial. Um, get some answers. Families wanted answers. They wanted to, the police to hurry up and, you know supply them with some information and and all you ever saw him was on the phone back and forward to to um to Richard Roxburgh on the side. There was one very telling conversation there where Rob Carlton says, oh the Prime Minister would like to do a tour of the side and 
the Richard Roxburgh character just says that is not happening. <laughs> you know, th- th- this is this is absolute bedlam here. This is not the time for John Howard to come over here and do a walkthrough. Tell him no. Mm. Although that was a really kind of interesting moment to sort of slip in there. Sure, sure. Okay, so that's Bali. It's on Bali 2002 for a full title uh, on Stan. It was sort of a co-commission with Nine, but I believe it's not not going to be screened on Nine. It will just stay a Stan property. I think there was some thought maybe initially they might share it and at a later date it would screen on Nine. But I, some people from Stan, I questioned that and they, they seem to believe that it will be just become, which I think is... Right, if you're going to have Stan shows and you want people to subscribe to Stan, yeah. you can't have them thinking, well, look, in a year I might be able to see it on nine. I can hold off until then. Well, that's, that's I think, one of the problems for Paramount Plus. You know, they're putting shows like Five Bedrooms onto Paramount Plus first and charging you. But we know now we can see those shows you know, you just have to wait six or 12 months and they're going to pop up on Channel 10, um, which is interesting. And speaking of Channel 10, because it's the 20th anniversary of the Bali bombing, they've got a special next Wednesday night called uh, Shockwaves, the Bali bombings. So uh, I imagine that won't be the last sort of current affairs show. I imagine 60 Minutes and maybe Sunday night and the ABC or maybe doing some uh, 20th anniversary commemorations of this as well. Sure, sure. Okay. Well, let's move on to um, the Australian Wars. Yeah, wow. Now, this started on SBS and it was it was quite weird. The day it was on was the day of the AFL reveal about their the way they've treated a lot of um, Indigenous Australian players. Yeah. Uh, very appallingly. Yeah. And it was sort of interesting that that was the backdrop for for this other program about the very dark parts of Australian history. Not to mention the fa- the media fascination with the monarchy at the moment and the Queen's funeral, honestly, to come out of that period. And, look, I, I don't know what all of that says about Australia, to tell you the truth. I, I have found it. I understand that the Queen's death is a huge moment in history and I understand that it's a massive thing uh, to be watching. But, you know, I... I really wonder what it says about Australia that we had all our TV presenters dressed in black for weeks and weeks after the Queen died. I've spoken to my Canadian friends who say that they're not doing that in Canada. And it's interesting that we are behaving like this in Australia. And But then you look at something like the Australian wars and you go, what's, what's incredible to me about the Australian wars is that this is a huge slab of our history that has really never been told and has sort of been pushed under the carpet. And when you hear these stories, you actually realise that this isn't just an Aboriginal history because there are also in these wars, there were uh, Aboriginal victims and there were white settlers being killed too as part of these battles that were going on all across Australia. And, you know, as Marsha Langdon says in this series, by hiding this history, you're not just trying to hide the Aboriginal deaths, you're actually hiding 
white deaths as well that was part of this. And that there are so many stories. And I think it's I think it's so amazing when you look at this production from Blackfella Films, and they really kind of started this new truth telling in documentary with their documentary First Australians back in 2008 also made for SBS. And, you know, they're continuing this. And and I think it's so important that we start talking about this and looking at the fact that we are Australia, a, a country obsessed by war and commemorating wars that we were in for Britain. But there's this whole other wars that were going on 200 years ago that are completely not spoken about. And then you see this documentary and just think, why aren't we talking about this? Um, the Blackfella Films filmmaker Rachel Perkins hosts as yeah. well as, you know, was, um, I guess, the key creative in this uh, three-part uh, doco. So SBS and SBS On Demand, you'll be able to watch all three episodes. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, it's staggering. That first episode focused a lot on uh, Governor Macquarie. Yes. Uh, what he was sort of responsible for. I think it was something that happened. Yeah. In particular, they examined, um, which were they recently, um, some people noted this 200-year anniversary yeah. of that, um, what would you call it, massacre? Right? A massacre. Yeah, yeah, conflict. Yeah. Um, and a shout-out to, um, we're up in Newcastle, shout-out to the University of Newcastle. They've actually got it done a map. Yes, they have. Of, um, which is, well, I won't say impressive, it's scary, isn't it? It's uh, terrific. Yeah, um, 11, over 11,000 people were, were murdered um, it, it, that they've, they've worked out. Um, 400 separate incidents, I think, 11,000 people, and they've got a map, which yeah. is virtually all over Australia. Yeah. Lots of atrocities in Tasmania, of course, which you hear a little bit about now and then. But you're right, you just this stuff's never taught. And I got nothing about any of this in school. Nothing about it. Even touch on. And one of the things that's really interesting in this doco for me is that they talk about British law and they talk about how, you know, sometimes uh, the, uh, the governor or someone will write, you know, treat the natives with compassion. They say this in their official paperwork, but they're actually running a military operation to kill them. And, you know, they are killing Aboriginal women and children and cutting off their heads because taking back a head was proof that, like, it's horrific. And to get in that first episode, when you go into the Australian Museum and you have, they they bring out these cardboard boxes and there's skulls in there of beheaded women from these massacres that have never been buried or given a proper you know, something, yeah. a, a proper send-off. And there they are sitting as exhibits in the Australian Museum and you just think, wow, we've got so far to go that th- these these skulls are still being desecrated like this. Yeah. And the, the thing I mentioned, the football thing, because this is what Rachel Perkins done is delve into the parks. Yeah. But what the football thing reinforces you that we haven't, you know, there's still a lot of yeah. bad stuff going on. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, we're just not treating um, people with respect and, and and looking after them. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's just terrible. I mean, uh, you mentioned the um, the museum. One thing Rachel Perkins did is go. She went into some archives where 
some of the the remains of some of these people are kept. Yes, and they're just in little cardboard boxes. They're sitting in cardboard boxes. Storage room. Yeah, never been returned. Never. To, um, to looking for families to, to where they should be gone. To, yeah, you know. It's it, it's quite shocking that it's still happening to this day. Mm. So the first episode uh, has aired on SBS. I've watched the second episode next week, which is all about Tasmania. And we know, we do know that they were pretty much wiped out in Tasmania. But mm. when you actually, they delve into the military operation and how they were dividing up the countries and basically giving the settlers permission to do whatever they want as part of these decrees, these decrees that are being handed down, but treat them with compassion. It's there in the decree, but they're going out and and, and slaughtering them and running them off cliffs and, oh, it's horrific. Mm. But it's also really, really interesting in terms of it actually was a very full-planned military operation and Governor Macquarie and these people who were in charge, they were military officers. So, of course, when it came time to do something about this, they they, they reacted in a military fashion. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, look, that's a, it's, a, it's an amazing piece of uh, television. It really is. Uh, the Australian Wars, SBS. Look, I mentioned before in Newcastle, so it's also appropriate to say we talk about the Star Hotel. Yeah. So it's interesting we talk about uh, Indigenous history because uh, my friend Chit Chat from the Machine Gun Fellatio, that wild musical Australian group from 20 years ago, he, of course, was on Music Max with me for years and years, and he has been here in Newcastle making a series of documentaries. They're usually about 25 minutes in length. And one of them is about to air on Fox Docos this week, uh, the Star Hotel Riot, which we'll talk about. But he's also been making these documentaries about the early Indigenous history of Newcastle. And they have also been picked up by NITV and they will be aired soon. We'll talk about them when they go to air. But uh, this doco, the Star Hotel Riot, you might remember in 1979, they closed down the Star Hotel. The Star Hotel was a very famous pub in Newcastle. It had a kind of a public bar where they had bands. There was actually a drag bar in the middle and then there was another bar. So it was kind of a bit of everything. But the night they shut it down, things really got out of hand, uh, which is a polite way of describing it. That was bedlam, wasn't it? Yeah. But this doco is so amazing because it tracks down people, some of the rioters, and you see the footage of them being hauled off by the police and then they meet again 40 years later uh, to talk about what happened that night. But you also find out that that particular night that the riot was happening, there were all these other incredible acts playing in Newcastle on the night and they kind of came out from their shows and it was like, don't go down there. They're like burning police cars. (laughs) And it reminds you of this live music scene that we used to have where, you know, a a town like Newcastle would have three or four big bands playing in pubs um, up and down the length of the town. One of those bands, I think they might, I haven't seen the doco, but it was actually competed a couple of years ago, wasn't it? Yes, it it was, yeah. Finally made it on the Fox doco. Yeah. Now we'll get a a wider audience. I think Australian Crawler played in town. Was James Rain interviewed in the doco? And he says, we went down there, had a look and went, turned around and went, yeah. went the other way. Yeah. He says, we were also in Newcastle and we, we didn't get a song out of it. 
which is a reference, I think, to Cold Chisel. Yeah, right. A song, famous song about the, the, the hotel and what yeah. happened. Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, I mean, it's it's such a uh, it's it's one of those. No one can really explain what sort of set it off. It just kind of this thing kind of combusted out of nowhere. People were sad that the hotel was shutting down. They didn't want it to shut down. It was overcrowded. Uh, I don't know, but yeah, it's it's well, yeah they. And also my sort of bit of reading about it, the the yeah, you're right, three bars. One at the front was the old school. Yep. Which is originally seamen, I think, but but workers and yep. tradies maybe and the old steelworks, people go there for a beer. Then the yeah, the LGBTQ friendly yeah, bar, bar in the middle. And then the the live bar. And they reckon it was maybe two or three hundred people would fit in there and then about 2,000 plus of yeah. it, between two and 5,000 yeah. turned up to sort of, you know, celebrate the, the, this venue. There are so many stories in Newcastle about how rough the bars used to be because there was this huge, there were so many sailors and seamen and, you know, BHP workers. It was a very, very tough town. Um, but And there's lots of pubs and lots of areas of Newcastle that were no-go zones back in the day. But the Star Hotel was, was kind of in this position where a whole bunch of different groups of people used to mingle together without much incident. Yeah. Until yeah. they shut it down. Yeah, sure. Well, that's great. Okay, so watch out for that on Fox Tacos. Um, Chit Chat, rock star, yep. TV host turned filmmaker. Yeah, I Glenn think he lives up in. He Carlton does. Now, doesn't he? He's from Newcastle. Yeah. Uh, real name Glenn Dormand, and he's been making these documentaries with Tony Whitaker, who was one of my producers back in the Channel Carnival Bean days films, as well. I think they yeah. Themselves, is that right? Well, that that, that magnificent carnivore films. Yeah magnificent productions and when they start screening their Indigenous documentaries, it's so interesting. I haven't seen one doco of theirs where I haven't gone up to them afterwards and gone, wow, that was so fascinating. Mm. You know, they've done a couple of World War II ones as well. They've been doing some great stuff. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, so watch out for that. Something probably completely different is the second season of Physical. Yeah. Now that's... There's been a series of shows that have recreated 70s US very well, yeah. haven't they? And this is one of them. Yeah. Minx is another one that Correct. comes to mind. There's been a few others, but um, this is the second season of Physical. They seem to have really followed on. I mean, would it be fair to say not a lot has happens in this? It's just a, it's a slice of this life, this woman who becomes a successful trainer yeah aerobics uh, instructor aerobics, yeah. yeah and it's at the the period i guess where jane fonda helped correct blow up that as an it turned it into an industry right? yeah so it's pre-jane fonda jane right. fonda hasn't quite gotten there and okay. she's sort of on the outskirts trying to get to that spot um but it's really interesting because it's got this background of aerobics and home video becoming a thing yeah. and you can exercise in the privacy of your own home, which is the line she uses. But what it actually is, and, it, and this becomes really apparent in season two, this is actually a series about eating disorders. And, you know, all through that first season, there are there are moments in it where she goes and hides in a hotel room and buys food and eats it all. And you see this very methodical way she lays all these hamburgers on the bed and eats them and then makes herself vomit. And she does this again and again in the first episode. And in the second episode, you think she's kind of got a handle on it. But of course, 
she doesn't and she starts to slip. But what happens in the second season is that she is forced to do something about it. She gets caught. The husband starts figuring it out. Her friend starts figuring it out. And she actually goes off to a rehab and starts to address that inside voice in her head. And when you, I became very aware that even though Murray Bartlett's the guest star and he's playing this kind of guy who's creating his own exciser empire and he's quite mad and camp and all of that, what it keeps coming back to is this is probably the most, I think, in-depth look at eating disorders that I've ever seen in a TV series. And one of the reasons I think it's got this slow burn to it is that they're saying there's no easy solution to this. This is going to be a slow journey to get out of that darkness as well. And they're they're doing it really well. And I basically, this has been out for a a couple of months now. It's been on my list of things. And I finally sat down the other day and went, I really need to do this. And once I watched it, boom, I'd done it in a day. To refresh my memory, I watched the last episode of season one. Yep. (laughs) That was a pretty weird ending. Remember in the empty shopping centre? Yeah. She's (laughs) in a balcony sort of um, enjoying Oh, I don't know how you'd word it. But. Yeah, and you know what? I'd forgotten how it ended, but that moment comes back to haunt her in uh, the second series. Right. Uh, yeah, and yeah. Then, and downstairs, elsewhere in the shopping centre, but engaging with her over a distance is um, is Paul Sparks, I think his name is, yes. who is the journalist who was going to write the biography of the president in House of Cards. Oh, is that where he's from? He's got that very kind yeah. of chiseled look. I think of, he was the, wasn't there some, he, he just hung around the president, yeah. the vice president. I don't think he ever wrote a word. <laughs> he was to sort of chronicle the president yeah. in the, um, and he came quite a pivotal character in House of Cards. Well, he's, he's becoming quite a pivotal character in physical too. Right. Because he's a Mormon and he's got a wife and the kids and he's running this shopping center and he's a bit of a developer. Yeah. Uh, so he's the antithesis of the man that Rose Byrne is married to because she's got the kind of activist, liberal husband that mm-hmm. wants to stop oil drilling off the coast of California and all that. But, yeah, his story really starts to come through. And in, in in some ways he's sort of trapped with his religion and, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on with him and he's becoming a, he becomes a much more pivotal character in the second series. I know the end of that first season, um, Sheila, who's Roseburn's character, yeah. was concerned she's just hanging around losers. Yeah. She just wanted to break out a bit, but part of her thought, no, nah, but that's my life, but she was torn yeah. Between, you know, maybe she was offered big bucks to sign up with um which I don't know, does that get developed much in that yes, second it does. season? And you know what? She's not a likable character. <laughs> it's 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 you know, every now and then you just want to slap her, you know, <laughs> particularly she's got this friend um who is she she doesn't want to have any friends because she's leading this secret of life, but she's she makes this friend um and you know this this friend of hers is so kind and nice to her and she's always so awful to the people around her, but you see that it's part of 
of her illness. The reason that she's so closed off is because she's dealing with her eating disorder and she won't let anybody in for fear that they'll discover her big secret. Um, yes, a part of her journey is that she needs to deal with her eating disorder, but also open herself up and accept that there, pe- there are people around her who want to help her. Yeah. Um, and that's what's, that's what's really interesting about it as well. Yeah. Okay, so last light, um, Rose Byrne, um, now Emmy Award winner Murray Bartlett's in it as well. Yeah. And um, Apple TV Plus, 20 episodes up now, first season's 10, second season's yeah. 10. And, yeah, and, and it's screaming out for another series. Yeah. Where it ends, you just go, come on, come on. They're about 30 minutes, 40 minutes. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're short. You can, it's bang, you get through it really quickly. You can burn through a few of those. Yeah, physical. Look, the last one we'll look at it to look at today is is something else that's also on Stan, Last Light. Yeah. Which um sort of brings Matthew Fox was talking is he's he not done a lot lately? Because the publicity was the return of Matthew Fox. Yeah. Like maybe he's been having a bit of a, a break from um I think he's been bringing up kids. I think I read that he's been doing a bit of child rearing since okay. the days of loss, because that's 20 years ago now, isn't it? Yeah. Since he was yeah. the star of Lost. But, gee, he still looks good. He's still leading man material. Huh. Um, now married in this series to Joanne Froggart from Downton Abbey. She does a lot of stuff, doesn't she? She's, she's, she's busy, busy, man. Busy, absolutely. She yeah. Absolutely. I'm just checking here. He hasn't made anything since seven-year gap between yeah. um, uh, a couple of his last, last pieces of work. Last Light feels to me like a kind of a disaster movie that they kind of serialised for TV. So you get all of these characters, you set it all up, you separate them. You know, the wife goes over to Paris because their son's going blind, he needs an operation, and so Joanne Froggart's off in Paris. Meanwhile, Matthew Fox is a petrochemist and there he gets called to some Saudi Arabian country. They don't. They make up a name. It looks like um, Dubai, the city. Yeah. Doesn't it? Um, and he's called in there because there's some issue with oil. Um, and then it, the oil gets polluted. Something's and, and that causes lots of problems around the world. Yeah. Right? And then suddenly they, they, you can't. They can't fly planes. The cars are catching on fire. So you've got all these like characters go out of yeah, the UK trapped. And things starting to descend into chaos. I think I've watched three or four episodes of it. it becomes quite stressful, and particularly <laughs> Joanne Froggart with the little boy who's going blind. It's like, oh my god! It's like it. Rem- it reminds me of Airport seventy five, which they <laughs> sent up in Flying High. You know where you know Linda Blair was on the plane with the heart being flowing for the heart transplant and then something happens on the plane and, oh, God, the little girl's life's in danger. And this is what I feel with this little blind boy. Every time he goes, Mummy, what's happening? I think, oh, my God, <laughs> please tell me that he's going to be safe soon. Yeah. They've spent a bit of money on it, haven't they? Yeah, the they have. value is quite high. Yeah. Um, not a lot of the cast I know, though, apart from the, the couple of leads. Yeah, those two leads. But, of course, Matthew Fox, is he's got a very pretty woman that uh, kind of reveals herself that can help it out. And, of course, Joanne Froggart's got the handsome doctor who takes pity on her when the hospital shuts down. And uh, so there's a little bit, there's hint of romance there um, as these couples are separated. But, look, really, there's, there's, there's no stolen kisses yet. There's too much going on for them to uh, get to that stage yet. Yeah, yeah. 
Okay. Look, just to finish up uh, this week, a couple of quick things. One from me. The um, We've talked about the Keely Hawes um, series, Finding Alice. Yep. When it, I think it was on the ABC. Yep. Um, that might have even been the second window. But anyway, it's quite good. It's um, Joanna Lunley, I think, plays her mother. Oh, that's mother right. This is the house, wasn't it? Yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. It's very weird. It's good. Yes. It's, um, it's worth watching. But that's on BritBox now. But what they've also got, they've sort of put together a list of all the Keely Hawes shows. She, yes. It's like the home of Keely Hawes, BritBox. So there's the Durrells, of course. Um, there's Ashes to Ashes. There's Spooks. Yep. Wives and Daughters, which I don't know much about, but it looks like a period uh, drama. And A is for Acid. Right. Um, with I think Martin Clunes is in that too. And she's just made a new UK drama. I read the worst review of it on The Guardian. <laughs> Said the whole thing is like a show set in corridors. People on... You know, so yeah, they said. In fact, this review said this show is unwatchable except for Keely Hawes. She's literally the only person in this show, and the only reason that you would watch it. I think that's Crossfire. Crossfire, like correct. On holiday and something happens. Yeah, and a family. hotel comes under siege, and everyone's hiding in the corridors and ringing each other on mobile phones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and she got a shout out, of course, at the um, Emmy Awards recently. Yeah. When her um, husband, who is in suspicion, uh, succession, succession, yeah, gave her a quick shout out. Right, he, um, I missed that. Yeah, yeah, um, Matthew McFadden. Well, I've got one for you to throw <laughs> out there, as if we don't have enough things to watch. So Maxine Peak, oh, another yes. one of our favourite British actresses, and I, she made a series a few years ago called The Village, a BBC drama that I don't think you've seen. It was a period, wasn't it? Was it was a period thing. It's yes. like not 18, 19, it. 1900. It. It's so great. Okay. It's there to watch for free on SBS On Demand. Mm, okay. There are moments from the village that I will never forget. It's it, that, that it, it's one of those dramas that you watch and there's things that happen in it that are so searing I will never, ever forget. Her son goes off to war goes off to fight in the war and he comes back with PTSD and Maxine Peaker's mother doesn't want him to go back to okay. because clearly he's damaged and these soldiers come along and they punch her to the ground and drag this son off and it's so disturbing and there's many moments in that yeah. but yeah it's it's uh it's a series that i think is very underrated the bbc wanted to make five series of it it didn't rate well enough for it they only did two john sims is in it as well i can't recommend it enough it's such an amazing historical period piece so it's there on sbs on demand if you've got the time it's there to watch now the village maxine peak Fantastic. Um, Andrew, great to uh, chat with you. Thanks, we'll James. We'll do it again next week. Don't forget you can read Andrew every Friday at mediaweek.com.au or in our daily newsletter on Fridays, the Media Week Morning Report. Thanks for listening.